Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that uses a memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%. Now, let's get started. Uh, I'm here today with Scott Clyburn from North Avenue Education. And Scott, would love if you could just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your company. Great. Thanks for having me on again, Tyler. Uh, my name is Scott Clyburn. I'm the founder and director of North Avenue Education. I've been working in uh, education, particularly private education, since about 2005. Um, I love working with students who have learning differences uh, or other special needs, and I, I love coaching them to transform their potential into action. The company I started in 2013, uh, North Avenue Education, is a Portland-based company with operations in person and online. We specialize in individuated test preparation and academic tutoring. We have a few uh, tutors who work with students on grad admissions, including the GRE, GMAT, and LSAT, as well as preparing their personal statements for graduate applications. Right. And so that makes you a great person for today's topic, right? Which is how is graduate admissions actually different from undergrad admissions? I mean, chances are if you're applying to graduate school, you probably have a bachelor's, I would say is pretty common. Um, So you went through the admissions process for college, right? Whoever you are, listener out there. Um, But then applying to graduate school is different. And then as as you touched on, you know, the graduate personal statement is a little different than your college essay. So... Uh, yeah, I would love for you to dig in on, uh, you know, to start, right, like how these these two admissions processes differ and then dig into the details. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a common uh, misperception that we encounter among our, our students for uh, personal statement uh, writing coaching for, for graduate admissions. They, they kind of come into the process thinking that it's going to be pretty similar to the essays that they wrote to get into undergraduate. Um, which might have mm-hmm. been recently, or maybe it was you know quite a few years ago if they're kind of going to graduate school after a stint in the workforce. Um, but either way, the the lay of the land for graduate admissions and for the personal statement for graduate admissions is actually quite different. So it's helpful to kind of uh, set the set the stage by understanding what really makes graduate admissions different from undergraduate admissions. So right. one of the things I'll I'll lead off with is um, the the role of the admissions officers. In undergraduate admissions mm-hmm. is completely non-existent in graduate admissions. So if you're applying to a, an undergrad, let's say you're applying to like a, a big state flagship research university, uh, there is a whole department of admissions folks, full-time staff uh, that they have. You know, They even have people out in the community traveling around to high schools and giving presentations. They have a whole suite of admissions readers who just sit in a room and read application essays in the fall um, after deadlines. Well, none of that really exists at the graduate level. Graduate admissions, Hmm. by and large, happens on a department-by-department and program-by-program basis. And so, yeah, it's it's, it's not kind of this full-time staff of admissions, you know, personnel that you have. It's it's actually the faculty most times who are sitting there and pouring through your your application. And it's the people that you're going to end up working with. Uh, if you were admitted, you know, taking classes from, or maybe they'll be advising your doctoral dissertation. So it's 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 really important to kind of recognize right. that you have to impress a very specific set of individuals in graduate admissions. Right, and it kind of makes sense 
actually. Like, I, I actually, this is, I did not know that. Um, this is, this is a new fact for me, so I'm, I'm excited about that. But I also, uh, it totally makes sense because essentially, like, the graduate programs are so differentiated and distinct compared to undergrad, right? Like, undergrad, you kind of have a lot of flexibility to move around. In grad school, you really don't. You're in that department. <laughs> You're in that program for that topic, and that is it. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense in a way, though it does change the audience. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, that's, a, that's a great point to make, Tyler, that, that you really – what they're looking for on, on the graduate admissions side is a set of, of students who their particular current faculty are excited to work closely with. It's not like, okay, we're admitting this student to the, the larger university and they, we don't know what they're going to major in. We don't know what kind of classes they're going to take. We don't know what kind of clubs or activities they're going to be involved in, but they seem like a well-rounded student. They seem capable or whatever. No, no, no. It's more specifically like, does this student have what it takes and does it fit that they would come and work with our particular department and our particular faculty and take advantage of our particular set of resources. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So then how I mentioned audience just to clarify for the listener, what I mean is like the audience for your essays, the people reading your essays. So like that being specific faculty in a specific program is going to be pretty different than a generalized admissions officer. And I'm wondering how that changes what you write about and then how what you focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first step, I think, is to to think about your personal statement as the glue that holds your whole application together. So let's talk about what the application components are for mm -hmm. grad school. So you're going to have you know your transcript from your undergrad. This is uh, sort of a way of showing independent evidence that you have what it takes to perform at a higher level at the graduate coursework level right so more specifically your your grad application reviewers are going to be looking at the kinds of classes that would translate into their kind of program so like maybe your major set of classes or, or classes at the 400 or 500 level that you've taken as an undergrad that show that you're able to kind of um, excel at the graduate level in coursework uh, your test scores mm -hmm. so if taking the GRE, or if you haven't taken that yet, that's going to be probably one of the components of your application. Um, so those two are, are the kind of academic uh, side of like the supporting evidence is what I like to think about it. Like you're, you're making a case, right, that I belong in this program. So what are the supporting pieces of evidence that your admissions uh, folks are going to look for? They're going to look at your transcript and your test scores for the academic side. They're going to look at letters of recommendation uh, from professors or other people who can vouch independently for your capabilities as a student. Uh, and then they're going to look at your personal statement that's going to say, um, okay, here's, here's my, in my words, the narrative that's tying all of this together. That's kind of making a persuasive case that my background, my experiences, maybe that's research experience or activities that I have on my CV. Um, and ultimately my goals that I, the things that I want to accomplish as a graduate student, they represent this sort of coherent trajectory that makes sense to these people who are reviewing the application and that fits with their departmental mm -hmm. resources and priorities. Right. Well, and at the end of the day, um, your resume is a real resume now, right? Like in, in, when you're applying to undergrad, you are, you know, you have your grades and you have your SAT scores and you have your extracurriculars and those and maybe sports, right? And those things kind of piece together into your resume. 
Um, but now it's like you have an actual resume, like you had jobs, you did things at these jobs. <laughs> they were hopefully relevant or probably, right? Unless you're like do, using as a career switching exercise, like probably relevant to the type of program you're going to be in, right? So I think that it's, 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 it is almost a little bit more like a job interview. Would you say it's a fair Absolutely. Analogy? Yeah. Um, I mean, because really they are going to employ you at some point, usually in your career as a graduate student, right? You're going to be a, yeah. a, a TA or maybe that you're going to be a research assistant or something. So they are absolutely looking at you as an employee as well as, you know, as a student or maybe a consumer of their particular degree. I have friends who are um, PhD, either got PhDs or are getting PhDs, and they joke that PhD programs are just free help or cheap help for for professors to hire, right? But absolutely, um, you are, yeah, you're doing you're doing stuff, right? Like at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, that is almost always part of your uh, program. I think with MBAs, it's maybe a little bit less likely, but with almost everything else, I think it's quite likely. Yeah, and that actually brings up a, a good point, Tyler. So I did want to make a distinction when I said earlier that by and large the the people reviewing your graduate application are going to be you know people within the department and faculty. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's particularly true for masters and doctoral programs. But if you're going to like a professional school, like a because in the GRE is, is you know used for e- even law admissions and and B school business school admissions nowadays, um, mm-hmm. those. Those entities do often have a separate admissions team, and it's not the faculty who are reviewing uh, the application, at least primarily. They might bring in faculty to kind of weigh in or or uh, review something, but they're, they're, they're the, that's like the exception um, to what I said earlier. Right. Okay, got it. Yeah, so what you said earlier is really focused on, you know, I'm getting a master's in psychology or a master's right. in you know, biology type of thing where you're just basically just working with them. Um, interesting. So then are MBAs a little bit more general then, or is it still the same approach works where you're just focusing really uh, on a very small niche segment? No, yeah, no, that's, that's a good distinction to make. They, they are more general. Uh, so, mm. so both, both um, MBA admissions and law school admissions uh, you're going to want to be much more general in your personal statement because it's it's not so much I'm coming to work with this particular set of faculty or um, this particular you know topic or concept. They want to you want to show them in in those two um, in those two instances that you're moldable, that you're shapeable, uh, that you you kind of have a, an idea of what you'll get out of this program, and you have mm-hmm. the you know the experience and the interests that align with this program, but you don't want to make it sound like you have to work with this one professor because there's a lot more yeah. fluidity in those in those professional schools. Those uh, people who are who are teaching in those schools tend to come and go a lot more frequently, and so they don't want to. You don't want to say, "Oh, I'm really excited about constitutional law and working with this one professor that's you know at this law school." They're going to be like, "Oh, that's a liability. You know, that guy can move on, and we we don't know if the student is going to finish." Mm-hmm. Got it. So then. I think then just to, for the sake of uh, the rest of the episode, maybe we, we just focus on sort of the graduate school side um, separately from the MBA side, and we can maybe kind of like go back and forth a little bit. But for the graduate school side, um, so let essentially like in your essay, how much of your essay is going to be focused on a particular person, right? I, like you just gave the example of, oh, this like constitutional law professor I really want to work with kind of thing. Right, so let's say it's you know molecular biology, something that falls in the wheelhouse of a specific program. 
how much do you focus your statements and essays about a particular person and and how do you do that right i don't think kissing yeah. ass uh sorry <laughs> i guess that's i guess we're swearing today uh <laughs> i don't i don't think kissing butt is uh is really like the best approach i don't think it's an approach just in general um that works yeah. very well for hiring or anything else so how how do you approach that problem right yeah. like you want to talk about how excited you are about you know professor bob but but what you know how do you do that yeah absolutely um so the short answer is you do want to do that but you don't want to do it to the exclusion of other faculty members or to the point where it might be a liability mm. um and it's it's always a good idea to also try to make contact with these people so if there is a particular scholar that you you know are, are really interested in working with and you think that their area of research is really exciting and it dovetails you know really nicely with your prior experience and interests then you definitely want to be reaching out to them uh, try to get them to email you back or to, to talk to you on the phone. Because really what you want is, and this goes back to kind of the original point that we made, which is that these decisions are made by faculty. You know, it's it's not an admissions right. committee. It's a group of faculty saying, yeah, I want this student to come here and, and I, I want them to be my student for this year or this admissions cycle. Um, because you, when it comes down to it, you want a champion. You want someone to kind of be rooting for you in those conversations. And right. if they're reviewing applications and they kind of, are passing your file around and nobody's really saying, yeah, I'm really crazy about this person. I really want them to come, come, you know, participate in our department and work with me. Then you're not going to, you know, you're going to fall to the bottom of the pile pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it may make sense to step back and kind of talk about the structure of the personal statement at large. You know, a yeah. lot of these, a lot of these applications have particular prompts. So you may end up having to write some somewhat different uh, of personal statements for the different programs or departments that you're applying to. Uh, but in general, there's sort of a, a coherent, you know, structure that you can follow. And what I usually tell my students to do is to start uh, writing this, this basic structure and then adapt it to each individual prompt or each individual school that they're applying to. So okay. the structure looks like this. It kind of takes place in three acts. So act one, the first few paragraphs should present a compelling description of the intellectual issues or social problems that you hope to wrestle with in your graduate work. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing here is you're kind of proving or demonstrating that you know how to think about the kind of core, you know, intellectual problems that that department or that field um, would equip you with resources to think about. Right. And that makes a lot of sense to me because, um, I mean, in general, in life, it's it's helpful to put yourself in the other people's shoes, right? And what what do they what do they hope to accomplish with you as a person? Like, obviously, they want you to be, you know, somebody that goes out into the world and does good things. Um, but in particular, if you're addressing things that are priorities for them, and it could potentially, you know, associate their name with something that you know has a lot of impact or social good involved or just, you know, things that for lack of a better word are, you know, marketable for the university you're going to, that is probably appealing to them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They ultimately want you to be a successful scholar that brings accolade to their program, right? So mm -hmm. you need to start demonstrating that you you have the 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 ability to do that. 
That was a much more concise way of saying it. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that's act one, right? So that's yeah. kind of you're you're getting them interested in 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 what you're about and what you're interested in right off the bat. And then act two is where you kind of support that vision with compelling evidence that you have the experience or qualifications necessary to really be uh, successful doing that kind of work, right? You want to say, you know, I, I want to work on, you know, this particular type of uh, genetic tagging, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've worked in this research lab and that research lab, and I've done this kind of protocol. Um, so that's where the second act is where you're kind of backing up the, the big picture vision with c- criteria that, that, that justifies, you know, your, your ability to do that. Yeah, it's kind of like part one, this is what I'm passionate about. Part two is this is why I can do the job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And w- one important thing to say here is if you did research in a particular lab or for a particular scholar, or maybe you did some kind of program either over the summer or through um, your your undergraduate university that you really want to call out, mm-hmm. um, make sure, or actually I should say it's just a good idea to make sure that you have a letter of recommendation from you know the key person there. So in other words, if you right. hope something that you call out in this act of your personal statement is going to really carry a lot of weight. Like maybe it's a a really well-known program or lab or research initiative. Well, make sure that you back that up with a letter of recommendation. Otherwise they're going to be like, huh, you said you worked here. You said you did this work, but there's no, there's no other way that we can kind of back that up. Maybe that means you did a bad job. It doesn't probably mean you didn't do it, right? You're not probably outright lying. There are ways to find that out. Uh, But it might mean that you didn't do such a great job Uh, because why didn't you have a letter? Well, if and also if everybody else has a letter, I mean, you're just putting yourself at a disadvantage, right? If that's the norm, you should, you should stick to the norm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Act 2. And then Act 3, which really is just one, maybe two paragraphs at the end, is sort of your case for why this specific department that you're applying to would be a good fit for these interests and goals that you have. And so that's where mm-hmm. you're kind of really leaning into like, this particular set of faculty members, you know, this particular set of like resources or opportunities that I'll have access to at your department. This is sort of the traditional why us essay that you probably wrote as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind, it's it's not sort of a way to list like, oh, I, you know, I would love to live in Madison, Wisconsin. It just looks so beautiful. Um, it's It's more about saying, here's what the, you know, the biochemistry department at University of, of Wisconsin and Madison is going to give me. Um, this mm-hmm. is who I want to work with. Uh, this is why I think their research is is applicable to my to my past you know experiences. Um, and then again, touching base with that person and making sure that they're going to be your advocate in that department meeting um, when they review right. applications, that's going to be clutch. Great. Yeah, I think that's great on the structure. Um, I'd love to maybe, I mean, I, I, I definitely think, you know, getting in touch with your advocate is an interesting topic, right? Um, but I also think that, and I want to kind of kind of reverse back and talk about that, but I also think now is probably the right time to maybe say, how does this personal statement in the three acts change if you are applying to like a more generalized, like an MBA or a law school program? Where and I know those two might be a little different, also, but you know those are ones that might actually get routed through sort of a a quote unquote admissions office. So how does does that change your structure a little bit? Or yeah, not 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 a ton, but it does mean that you're. uh, It's less about 
vouching with very specific, like department or topic specific um, research experience, for instance, mm. or maybe even classes that you took as an undergrad. And it's more about just showing that uh, you have sort of the intellectual capabilities and you have a plan is maybe more more to the point. You have a plan for what you'll do with this degree. So I think for those professional programs, MBA and, and law school, they're not, uh, they don't want to take a chance on someone who's just kind of interested in, in business as a theory or, you know, or, or um, interested in maybe the principles of economics. I mean, that's, that's for an, a master's or a PhD in econ, right? But if right. you're getting an MBA, we want to know that you have you know, a, a plan of what you're going you're gonna to do with this. Are you going to go work for you know, a, co- a top consulting firm in New York? Are you going to be an entrepreneur and go start a business? Like, if, if so, like, what, what are the details of this business you want to start? Like, that would be relevant to know, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's much more kind of geared towards the outcomes and what you plan to do with it. And then certain experiences that you've had that would kind of attest to your ability to fulfill on that plan. Right. Got it. Yeah. So then I'd, I'd love to maybe, if switching back to grad school, uh, that's more specific. I'm, I'm, I'd love to maybe just like ask about that contact point where you're saying, okay, I, you know, I've identified my, my, the microbiology professor I want to work with, you know, she's great. She's like a big deal, like probably her, you know, she's a big deal in her world. Right. And that's always like the, the thing to keep in mind with, with academics in general is it's a million tiny fiefdoms. And when people are a big deal in that fiefdom, they really think that they are a big deal in all the things, right? So just like keep keep their ego in mind, right? Um, but I'm I'm curious, what's the best way to kind of kick off a conversation with them, and then try to develop that into something that will really help your application, right? Like try to build a real rapport with them. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great that's a great point, Tyler. I, I think it's one of the things that students or applicants need to keep in mind is if they do end up emailing or trying to to talk to one of these people, it, it's likely if they get you know asked to an interview that they'll meet them. And, and if they uh-huh. get admitted, they'll have to, in some sense, follow through with what they said they, they were interested in doing. So, so you right. want to make sure that you kind of do your, your research and you're sure that you know it's this particular field or this particular topic that you want to that you want to work on, um, and then you approach that person and, and just make an intro and ask if they might be open to a phone call or or um, say, are you taking new students in the next admission mm-hmm. cycle? You know, are, are you are you even um, open to working with me and, and, and shepherding someone like me through the program and making sure that I'm I'm successful and get the support I need? Right. I mean, is there? Um... Like if if somebody were to say no, I'm not taking new students. Do you just kind of go like to a different person in the same school? Or, yeah, like, so is you, that okay? You'd or have to. Des- gonna- <laughs> yeah, good question. You'd have to decide. You know, it, are there other folks at in that program or at that par- department that you could work with, or that uh, you know have interests that somewhat align with yours, or does that really you know close the door for you on that program? Right. Well, I bet you can always ask them, right? This is a common tactic in sales, which is sort of where my mind is is going a little bit. And it's saying, well, who's the right person, right? And, you yeah. know, about you get kind of a response maybe like 25 to 50% of the time. In this case, I think it would be pretty, pretty high. But if there is a right person, they'll, they'll, they'll know who it is because they talk to him all the time. Yeah, and it is true. I, I should, I should be clear to say that you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. Because if, if you say, 
I want to come to this program because this one person does exactly what I want to do. They're so great. I hate everything else about the field. <laughs> um, you know, you could easily uh, tick people off who are also in the department, right? I actually was having a conversation with someone in the anthropology department at, at uh, Berkeley about this. And he said, well, you know, when I um, applied, I had to be very careful to to not mention, I think it was, you know, one particular uh, anthropologist that that someone in the department really hated. <laughs> and and so even though he he particularly thought that they were, you know, good and had a good methodology and he wanted to kind of use them in his in his research, et cetera, um, he got the inside tip not to mention them because uh, he knew that he would make an enemy. Uh, among someone else on the faculty. So you kind of want to make sure to to be specific and concrete, but not too, 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 too specific or concrete, or at least maybe ask your person who, who your inside guy or girl, uh, maybe what are some of the things that I might avoid in my, uh, in my personal statements uh, mentioning that are maybe controversial topics within your department, mm. because you don't want to make any enemies in those conversations either. Man, it must be nice to have an inside guy or girl. I mean, is that something that you can create or is it just you kind of have to have it or not? Yeah, I mean, you just have to to nurture that relationship from an early um, date. I think for this particular individual, he had gone to undergrad at Cal as well. And so mm. I think he had, he had made contacts in the department um, that were pretty fruitful when he came to apply to the PhD program. Yeah, so I think there's actually there, there's a couple of other interesting directions there. Um, the the first is just uh, you know how do you like do you feel like there's an approach or strategy to say like going to a networking event at a college, which is really mostly feasible if you're in the area. Um, but yeah. do you do do graduate school programs like do they have networking events where people who are not admitted to the university can attend? That's definitely more common for uh, MBA programs and other professional schools. Sometimes uh, the the graduate school at large will have some kind of fair or or open house, and there mm -hmm. might be someone from the department that you're interested in who's attending, or it could be a virtual fair, and you know maybe there's like one representative from from major departments. Um, I would say those are good opportunities, more so to learn about the programs and the the schools themselves and less to actually make uh meaningful connections because um, mm. i don't i don't think the people who are attending those things are are likely to be you know the key decision makers in other words in admissions got it but yeah that that this is all sounding good i i think then just to to put put our mba hat back on do you feel like sort of these tactics change a little bit when you're applying to something like an MBA program or a law school? Or do you feel like, you know, at reaching out to the professors that you like there is still worthwhile? Still worthwhile, but probably not as much of a make or break activity, right? So I, I like to, to liken professional school admissions. They're a little bit closer to undergrad admissions in the sense that you know, you need to be a well-rounded candidate. You need to be um, what looks like a good bet overall for their program. They need to have a confidence that you'll, you know, complete the program and that you'll go on to do great things. Um, I think in those in those uh, instances, the the statistics are probably more valuable than the particular alignment of research interests. Um, statistics meaning GPA and test scores. 
Um, so again, it's it's a bit more. I mean, th- those programs also because they have you know you can imagine why they have kind of built out uh, full time admissions teams. It's because they get more applicants, right? So your typical, let's say you know physics doctoral program at a research university, they're fielding maybe tens of applicants for each PhD spot. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, MBA and law school programs, they're probably fielding hundreds, maybe thousands. Right. Um, so it's just a different ball game, uh, entirely. Got it. Yeah. And then I, I think uh, to wrap this up, what are the pitfalls that prospective applicants should avoid, right? Like what are the things that, um, you know, would you would just say are kind of the most common mistakes that you want to make sure that people don't do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So in my coaching and, and my firm's coaching of personal statements with, with, uh, aspirational grad students, uh, we see three things that they often uh, do that um, need to be corrected. The mm-hmm. first is failing to link their diverse interests or activities together into some kind of coherent narrative. So a lot mm-hmm. of times the first drafts of uh, personal statements read like resumes. You know, it's like, I did this from these dates, and then I did this from these dates, and now I'm doing this. And, you know, as the reader, you kind of step back and say, okay, well, I, I could have gotten that from you know, your CV or your resume? Why, why, why did you put it in a narrative form? You really need to work to show the connections between those experiences. What did you learn from experience A that led you to experience B? Or, you know, how did maybe uh, this, uh, your experience in this lab differ from mm-hmm. your experience in that lab? Something like that, right? So what's the- Yeah, and do you feel like it's story? okay in those instances um, to- like one, like talk about, you know, what you didn't like, like maybe you're like, I worked at this lab and found, you know, I had these problems with it, either like the approach or, or whatever. And so that led me to do X, right? Like, is it okay to be negative? And then the second part is, um, well, yeah, let's start with that actually. So is it okay to be negative? Is it okay to kind of talk about what you've learned? Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't be negative if you're, if you're using a recommendation letter from that, you know, uh, lab oh, director, well, right. PI, yeah. right? That's yeah, a good so call I, out. <laughs> I, I wouldn't shoot yourself in the foot there. Um, and I would say, and it, there's there's no there's no real benefit to being negative for negative sake. But if you said something like, uh, "This experience helped me helped refine my interests," or "This this experience helped me rec- realize or or discern that I was much more interested in this way of approaching it." So, in other words, right. I wouldn't say I wouldn't make a criticism about the lab. Or about the experience that you had, um, or organization that you worked with, I would probably make it more about you know that was a valuable experience. I learned to go in this other direction. I learned that it was more important to me to go in this other direction. Yeah. So then, I mean, following up on that question a little bit is, you know, because I'm I'm trying to imagine right now how I would do this for myself, right? And I I think I almost wouldn't really talk about specific companies at all so much as like the journey and the you know i mean like for the big ticket items like the big pieces of my resume i'd probably dig into specific things that i did or learned at these but i would try to weave it into more of like the big the journey of tyler (laughs) to get him to this point right do you do you feel like it almost feels like that's like the opposite of you know listing your resume items in order is going all in on like story and vision. So where do you feel like if, if it's a zero to a hundred scale, right? Where, where do you feel like the balances between those two extremes? 
Hmm. The, the extremes of um, ex- talking about all specific organizations. story. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, probably in a typical graduate, like master's or doctoral program, graduate application, I would probably make it 50-50, resume resume story, lean more towards story if you're applying to a professional school, like an MBA program, Mm -hmm. and lean more towards resume if you're applying to like a very specific, let's say, STEM field, right? Right. Like if if you just need to kind of show that you have the chops to research at a really high level, then you need to you need to be able to list out the labs and the technicians and the um, investigators that you you worked under, right? And and that's also because in in a lot of ways, doing something more specific is more like a job. It's, right. it's like graduate school, but also kind of a job in a way because, frankly, there's probably a, a moderate chance to end up in academia anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Like so, yeah. it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a different animal. Um, great. Well, yeah. Any other, uh, any other pitfalls to think about? Yeah. The, the, the two others that I usually, uh, flag for students is failing to research their program or their department sufficiently to have enough things to say in that third act about why that, that particular program would be a good fit. Um, you want to be as, you know, concrete as possible there. And then finally failing to nab your reader's attention in the first paragraph. So, because really, I mean, even if you're applying to a program that doesn't get a ton of applicants, uh, you want your your initial and your your final readers to read all the way through to be like, oh, th- this is catching my attention. I want to read further. I want to find out more about this applicant. So, really, that first paragraph is critical to hook them. Right. Yeah, and also, I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's just good advice for every everything you're doing when you're applying somewhere, whether it's school or a job is you really need to research it thoroughly because if you don't that's just a big red flag right like i interview people obviously now too and when they like are like oh you know (laughs) what exams do you cover (laughs) like it's right there on the website so it would have been one of the first five things you probably learned about us if you tried it all (laughs) right it's it's a very uh it's a very red flag if you don't do the research so you got to avoid that absolutely yeah, and then on the paragraph side, I, I am curious. Then for that first paragraph, do you recommend? Um, do you recommend kind of leading with story? Yes, I do. I think that's a great way to get your readers' attention. Um, as human beings, we're wired to kind of respond emotionally to stories and narratives. So I think that's a great way to do it. One of the things that I have seen a lot of students do that I'll counsel against, though, is starting too young. A lot of students, our applicants will say, you know, when I was three, I, uh, I got a, you know, operation set. And that's when I knew I was going to be a surgeon. And it's just right. like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe that was a, an important, you know, emotional moment for you, but that doesn't really qualify you in any particular way to go to med school. Right, exactly. So Great. start at like undergrad. <laughs> Yeah, start at undergrad. Start with it. Still, it still is a little bit more like a resume and a job application, right? So start with your work, right? For sure. Any any kind of closing thoughts on this topic? Yeah, uh, just one thing I like to say to my to my um, personal statement students is 
a personal statement is at heart a persona statement. Your, your persona, professional persona, uh, academic persona needs to shine through. So we need to be able to read your personal statement and say, I have a fairly strong sense, emotional sense and social sense about who this person is. So all that we've talked about today is, is really nuts and bolts, but remember at the end of the day, your personality and persona still need to shine through. Right. Great. Thank you so much, Scott. This is Ben Giri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Scott Clyburn from North Avenue Education. Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%.